right, well, hold on. Let, we got we to gotta give another round of applause for Amory Sr. up here. All right, I'm going to... Here, maybe you can turn me up a little bit if you guys can hear. Am, am I good? Can you guys hear me all the way back there? Yeah? All right, sweet. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to encourage Amory real quick. This is the kind of the... Everyone knows that he's a singer, right? Yes, he has an gr- amazing voice. It was actually his very first time on the Sunday service to be up here in a really long time. And so, man, I am just so encouraged by just different hearts of all the uh, men and women that are just honestly just they just want to give to you guys, give church, give to the church, but also glorify God with their gifts. And I, that, anytime I think about Amory Senior, I just think about just the change of heart that he wants or that he has. He just wanted to give uh, to the church, give to God with his amazing voice. And so, again, round of applause for Amory, for VJ up here. It always, uh, it always brings me great joy uh, when I just see uh, just the church worshiping God together. Um, but uh, today uh, we're going to be uncovering uh, what is Act 1 in that whole sequence of uh, different acts that Jason the past few Sundays have, have showed. So I, I have this kind of the diagram that we've been showing for the past or for the, yeah, for the past several weeks. And that little point right there titled creation is what we're going to be talking about. So we're going to be reading together on Genesis 1 and 2. And so I don't know if you guys noticed, but Scott and Danielle are, are missing this Sunday because they're going, they're in Nashville right now um, for their master's program, I believe in like theology or, or religious studies, I, I want to say. Uh, and, and usually we've been having Jason up here to, uh, and he's been killing it for the past several weeks. And so uh, it's kind of funny that, you know, Scott, who's, uh, going to take his master's for theology and Jason, who studied out the Bible in Hebrew and Greek, uh, they gave me the easy one. Uh, so I'm not hurt. I'm not hurt by it. Uh, I'm actually really glad that I get to talk about the creation uh, today. Um, but if you remember the last couple of weeks, uh, again, this is kind of the story arch that uh, we've shown uh, in, in, in or the past several weeks. And so if you haven't watched the, the first sermon that Jason did, I believe it was a couple or, yeah, I think it was three or, yeah, two weeks ago, um, please tune in on YouTube. Uh, a lot of what's going to be covered today has been covered then, but uh, we're going to be having a great time today uh, in the creation. So turn your Bibles to Genesis 1, uh, and the title of, uh, of our time here is, is In the Beginning. Probably that's a very fitting title uh, for Genesis 1. And so Genesis 1 and 2 are literally the opening scenes of the Bible, right? And so if you think about that, right, the first few scenes of any moment, of any story, uh, it, they're, they're really important. Kind of the first few seconds are really important. And even when you're reading books, right, the, the very first few moments of the book is very important. Uh, and, and so what do authors call that beginning part? What do they call it? The hook, right? Right, the hook. You probably learned that in elementary school when you're, or when you're writing your first maybe essay. You, you, every good story kind of starts off with a hook. Okay, and so I want you guys to think of the best opening scene in a movie. What movie would that be? Well, what was your favorite like opening scene of a movie? Is there anyone that, that has one on top of there? Okay, The Dark Knight, right? That's the one with Joker, right? 
Yeah, that's so cool, right? There's that kind of like twist in the beginning. I kind of spoiled that movie. I'm sorry. But if you haven't seen it, go watch it. Any, any, any other movie? Any other movie? Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yes, absolutely. Indiana Jones. Uh, but I, I'm going to tell you my, my all-time favorite opening scene of a movie. You guys ready for this? Yeah. The Lion King. Can you guys agree with me? The Lion King. Right? And so uh, there's a lot of great movie scenes out there, but by far, in my opinion, it's The Lion King. And I'm going to show you guys. And I'm going to show you guys the live action version. I know there's probably a lot of you guys that are devoted to the animated version. Uh, but for the sake of this picture of the creation, I'm going to show you guys the live action version. Are you guys ready? All right. I, I, it, if you guys have seen The Lion King, that, that voice kind of scares you in the beginning. It scares me every time, so I pray that it doesn't scare you guys. But it's, the song is beautiful. Here you go. It always like starts. <laughs> Is it playing? All right, give us give us a second. Just maybe you're, you're, maybe sing the song in your head if you guys remember the song. I'm just waiting for the. <laughs> This is a lot as it can go. The song's epic. <laughs> okay.
That's a pretty crazy opening scene, right? Was that cool? If you have never seen the live action version, it's crazy just how far like technology has gone to make that. But there's a lot of like movies that are now getting live action that, to be honest, are not my favorite. But Lion King is one of them. Right. But think about that. Right. The scenery, the color, the animals, Simba and all his glory. I'm pretty sure each and every one of you guys have done that before. You put up maybe a dog or something kind of like Simba. Um, but I don't know what's more interesting to me about this whole scene is the fact that how beautiful it was, especially as a kid when I saw it, or the fact that animals throw a crazy baby shower. Like, this is the most intricate baby shower, right? But, you know, this was an amazing opening scene to an incredible story that is the Lion King. right? But in the Bible, our opening scene is what we know as the creation story. And so we know that God goes on this seven-day creative spree uh, that was full of both chaos but also life right at the same time and like any opening scene to any beautifully crafted story this is meant to stage the rest of the bible and so oftentimes i would see uh an or i would see this story as an origin story that's that is kind of like fun to read almost i don't know if you guys can relate with me but anytime i turn to genesis 1 and I read something like, you know, when God said there's going to be a vault in the sky, I kind of read it like I'm walking down, I don't know, like Third Street Promenade or a mall, and I see like a, like a street performer, and I'm like, oh, that's cool. Like, I wonder what that's all about, right? Like, I'm just a, vis- like a visual guy, and I just see it, and, and I don't really truly understand it. But, again, the whole point of our time today is that the creation story is so much more than a cool story. And in reading this, uh, you'll soon understand that really this story is the very first inside look into God's purpose in creating life. You know, the story is the very first image of his will for our lives as his creation. And it's this origin story uh, that not only created our past, but also helps us make sense of our present but also helps us hope for a future as God's children. And, you know, I have three simple points to help us through this journey of the creation to not only get us a clearer understanding of it, but to also see the importance of why we need to fully grasp this bigger picture. And really this picture is what it looks like to walk with God. Amen. And so let's go ahead and uh, go to Genesis 1. But before we read that, let's go ahead and pray. Uh, together before we read Genesis 1 together. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, thank you so much for creating us. Thank you so much for being our creator. Uh, Thank you for scenes like the Lion King, God, where we get to see your creation, animals, God, just the scenery. Lord, we can just go outside and just look at the mountains. We can go outside, God, and look at the sky. Uh, We can wait till nighttime and just see the moon, God. Any, Any sort of creation out there, God, that is your stamp of your power, and of your blessings. And Lord, I pray that as we dwell in Genesis 1 and 2 together, help us to come out of this uh, just feeling more uh, in love with you, but also feel loved by you. And I pray for everything in mighty son's name. Amen. All right, let's read Genesis 1, starting in verse 1. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. 
And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And so like I said, we're going to look at three points today. And the very first point is vision. Vision. Right? And why, why vision? Right? And so when we go back to uh, Genesis 1, uh, especially in verse 2, it said that the earth was formless and empty. And I included here uh, a few other uh, translations of, of those two descriptions of the earth. In the ASV, and this is kind of the most popular one, but it says that the earth was waste and void. In the ESV, it says without form and void. And in the GNT version, it said formless and desolate. Right? And why do I include that? Because in the Hebrew translation of waste and void is tohu wabohu. Right? And I included some Hebrew because of, you know, Jason. And I gotta, I gotta put that in there, uh, to show that I'm smart too, you know? Uh, but tohu wabohu. It says waste and void. And so I want you guys to kind of maybe imagine what waste and void even means or what comes up. For me, uh, in the definition of tohu wabohu, is also words like disorder or desolate or empty. And so why do I, why do I include that point? Because something to note, right, is that even within the origin of life, there was emptiness, right? And this emptiness was the origin, right? And in utter and wild darkness, God was present. You think about that, right? The, it, before, the, before the earth was created, it was waste and void, and God was present, ready to bring forth life. And so I want you guys to maybe ask yourself, have you ever felt a darkness spiritually? Have you ever felt a darkness in your life? Have you ever felt wild in your life? Have you ever felt your spirituality or maybe even your physical life sometimes can feel lifeless, right? But it's cool to notice that even in the darkness, God still dwells, ready to create Life. And so I want you guys to imagine like a painter looking at an empty canvas, just having a vision ready to create. Isn't that a cool thought? Right. And so we've all read Genesis one countless of times. And so for the sake of time, we're going to do a little crash course review on each day. OK, so I'm going to say uh, the number of the day and I want you guys to repeat to me what, what God created that day. You guys ready? A little interaction. All right. And day one, God created what? Light and darkness, right? He says, and God said, let there be light. That's an epic, epic line, right? And in day two, he created the sky. He said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place that the dry ground appear. Or, sorry, and let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. All right, in day three, what did he create? Land, right? Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let the dry ground appear. And something really cool is even in that day, he created kind of like a bonus creation, right? And, and what we see, let the land produce vegetation, seed bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit. And so he also created plants and vegetation. All right. Day four. Amen. We can read. All right. Sun, moon, and stars. It says, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night. Signs to mark sacred times, days, and years. And in verse 15 in chapter 1, let them, let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on earth. We love light on earth. right? We want to see in the dark. I'm glad God created those stars. All right. Day number five. What did he create? Creatures of air and sea. The birds. 
those pesky seagulls, maybe the fish, right, that we that we like to fish or or what Bill likes to fish, you know. So amen for that, right? Because we like to fish, right? So I'm so glad that God created that. So day number six, what did he create? Creatures of the land. But also in day number six is honestly a bonus creation, but I want to even say that it was God's best creation, is humankind to rule over creation, right? And so even if you read chapter one, when he talks about him creating humans, uh, there, there's, there was a purpose to why he created them, right? It was to work the ground, but also be living image bearers of God. And so as humans, right, as you and me, we represent God amidst all the things that he has created. And we are not only partners with God, but we are also representatives, which will be very key throughout this entire lesson. And I love how God finishes each day, right? What, what does he say after he created it and to end the day? What, what does he say? It was good, right? And I love, I, I, I'm so glad I worship a God that is proud of his work, right? Each and every day he says, man, I just did something awesome. It is good. But I love how he ends day number six when he creates uh, us humans. He, he, he ends it off very differently from all the other others, right? And and I want to say that even humankind is the climax of this creation sequence because in Genesis verse 31, we kind of see a change in his response. And what is it? It was very good. Right. Amen. So I want you guys to look at the person to your left and right and say, you are very good. You are very good. Right. Well, guess what? God also believes that it was very good when he created you and I. And so. And so he ends off day number six. Amen. I, let's keep complimenting each other. All right. So, so okay. So let's let's go back to before day number one. Right? There was it was waste. It was desolate. It was not of order. Right. But after all of these all of this creation. Right. There's finally order. There's a world that's been created that's teeming with life. And with purpose and these creations, right, that symbolize the incredible creator, which includes you and I, men and women, images of God. God's vision has finally come to fruition. Right. But the author accounts one more day. And we know that. Right. There's 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 one more day to be to talk about. And I think this is vital to the sequence. But this day oftentimes get misinterpreted. And we know this to be the seventh day where God just rests because maybe he's tired from all the creating he just did, right? But yet, unlike the six days prior, and this is something to kind of note, is that this seventh day had no end. If you read it, it had no end. And so this day, right, is the day that God rests. And a lot of us, when we read that, we kind of think, we kind of think this is what it looks like. On the seventh day, God just cracks open a, uh, a Traeger and just start smoking some meat, ready to just kick back and have a barbecue and just I'm I'm done. I'm, I'm relaxing. Right. But but when when you think about, man, this day had no end. Right. What's what's really happening is kind of the same analogy as a painter. Right. The picture that God has created is finally complete. And, you know, painters, when and my I grew up in a family of artists and when we paint, what my dad likes to do is he just likes to sit there. And just look at what he just created. 
right? And I think God, in the same way, when he created the earth, he created humans, and he was, it's time to rest. I think what he's wanting to do and desiring to do is to rest and enjoy what has been created and what has been, or yeah, what has been created. And it's unlike this photo where, you know, God is completely distant from the world, right? And he's just hanging out. But I like to think that it looked more like this. And you see a photo of a father and, and uh, that's out with an outing with his child, just just watching his creation. And I never pictured it like this before, but there's something special about day number seven. And so much so that the author has actually put a hidden emphasis on the importance of even the number seven. And we see that the seventh day is God's goal of creation. And this is what the author did. Uh, with uh, the number seven, is that obviously there's seven days of creation. Seven times God announced that his creation was good. Seven Hebrew words in the opening line of Genesis. Two times of seven Hebrew words in verse two. And on the seventh day, it has three lines of seven words in Hebrew. And so when you, when you maybe look it up on Google, you see that the, there's a significance on the number seven. And so Genesis 1 is more than a story, but a clear vision of how God created things with intention. He had a vision with an intention. It develops this incredible and powerful God that we read that is desiring to dwell within his work and to share what he has created with his image bearers, which is you and I. And as he rests, he would rule creation with us, and he longs to dwell with us. Isn't that kind of an amazing picture, right? That God wants to dwell with us. And so when you read about God's love for you, when you read about God's incredible love, I pray that you don't doubt or question it. Because what it shows me in Genesis 1 is that's what God just wanted to do with his creation is just to love and be there. And so you are called for connection because you were created for connection. And if you feel like, man, I want to have purpose in my life. Well, you are called for purpose because we were created or when we were created, we had a purpose. And I think we live in a time when it feels like our world is falling apart. And when we think about the condition of our world today, it really doesn't match what we read in Genesis 1. Right? Our generation today amplifies its weakened condition. Right? When we think about the world, we think about things like global warming, deforestation, mass pollution. We read about, oh, we saw that scene in Lion King and, and chances are some of those species are endangered, right? Uh, or maybe even there's fear of what will happen for years to come. What's going to happen to the generation after, generation after? What's the world going to be like? We rarely can even see the stars at night. So people drive to Joshua Tree just to see the stars, right? But even the condition of humankind, the pinnacle of God's creation, there's division, marginalizations of groups, people in unlivable conditions, Poverty, homelessness, crime and harm done to one another. I urge you to start realizing that there is more for us than to simply live in this torn apart world. 
And we were created to maintain order in partnership with God. And that's a lot of responsibility. That is a huge duty, right? But the question is, why us? Why, why did God choose us? Right? And let's read in Genesis 2, uh, verse 4, uh, starting in verse 4. Amen. You guys with me? Yeah. All right. Let's keep reading on. Genesis 2, verse 4. It says, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on earth and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the ground were the trees of life and the tree of knowledge of God and evil. Now let's pick back up in verse 10. Let's keep reading. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is Pishon. It, it, it winds through the entire land of Havilah where there is gold. The gold of the land is good, aromatic resin. And in verse 13, the name of the second river is Gion. It, wind, it winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris. runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And again, so the second point is that we read even here in Genesis 2 is that is, is the, the point is titled vehicle. And why, why vehicle? Because the creation of humankind, of men and women, Eve after this, he, he created Eve, right? A man is not meant to be alone, so he created uh, he created a partner, which is Eve. And so the creation of humankind is God's vehicle to bring creation into full fruition and function. And so in Genesis 1, we read that we are these image bearers of God, that we are representatives of God. But in Genesis 2, we kind of see a more uh, development into the creation of mankind, and then he introduces our purpose in the Garden of Eden to work the ground, which was also in, uh, uh, mentioned in chapter 1. But Genesis 2 shows us how God even breathed life into us as livable, as living beings. It's almost poetic how we were created, right? Because not only when we are created, we become reflections of God's character, but also we harness all of this, the creative potential that God has. But even in, in, this, in this small uh, in the small part in Genesis 2, we become introduced to the Garden of Eden. And I would like to think it looked a little something like this, right? The Garden of Eden, right? And, so, and, and in the Garden, God blesses humankind with an incredible choice. And what, what do I mean by that incredible choice? Well, the tree of knowledge we read here, right? That, that's, the, that's a tree, that big old tree. You cannot eat from the tree of knowledge. And so you think about it, right? God created uh, men and women to have boundless freedom within the garden, to enjoy everything that God had created, but with one limitation, the tree. 
So not only did he bless humankind with everything to want and to need, but he also gave humans the opportunity to have dignity and a choice to trust in God, an opportunity to listen, to obey, but to also trust in God. And so the stakes for Adam and Eve, they were incredibly high, right? The Garden of Eden acts as this inner sanctum, and we are the royal priest that's meant to bring creation forward. And so I love how God even distinguishes that, man, I am the creator, but you are the created. Amen? And so, so, and I think, when I think about this, right, when I think about how this vision of men and women to live in this inner sanctum with God and that we are called to be royal priests. Again, that's a really big responsibility, but also a huge honor, if I may say so myself. And I think in my own life, I have been really having a difficult time living this out, of, of being a royal priest. I've had a hard time living this out because not only is it complicated, but also I can become so easily forgetful of the origin of my creation. Of what we read here in Genesis 1 and 2, you know, lately I have been in the season of vulnerability and in the season of doubt. You know, I've developed this critical heart lately and I've become easily distrustful of people's intentions, people's, you know, uh, I guess, I guess their kind of their vibe, if I would say so myself. You know, because I'm so grateful that we have been, you know, I'm part of this church, that we we have this community here that's been moving in a direction that I've longed for it to move. Right. And I and I love the fact that we're all focused on loving one another through the process. But really, I just got to be honest, the process of getting here has been incredibly hard and it's caused me to be bitter, to be tired, um, to be hopeless and even through this time in the past couple of years, and I've said, said it in multiple times, but I've just been experiencing a lot of friends just leave the church and have conversations with them to want to love them. But it oftentimes leaves me in a place of emotionally, like emotional vulnerability, you know, and it's hard to be in these conversations with them. And oftentimes I'm also then kind of stuck in the corner doubting my own purpose in God. And in my own future with God, and even my own place, even within our church. And to be quite honest, I'm wrestling with it as we speak. But when I encounter Genesis 2, regardless of my present, regardless of what I'm feeling in the moment, my past has called me to realign with this call to dwell with God. My past, which is this story of creation is that it shows me that I have access to all the incredible blessings that God has in store for me, but only if I fully trust in God. Does that make sense? So so now knowing this, you know, I can just end it, right? End this lesson just saying, okay, well, you're called to be royal priest, so go ahead and do it. Amen? But that's a little discouraging, right? Like, uh, how do I do that, right? You know, and I think it's a lot more complicated or, or a lot... Uh, a lot harder to say than uh, do. And so cool. Now what? what? What do we do? And so now I want to talk about the value in knowing God's vision for creation, but also our value in being co-partners and vehicles for God's will. Amen. And so our, our last point today is value. 
And so seeing the beginning, I want to take a sneak peek at the end. And Jason mentioned this in, uh, when we first introduced this, but in Revelation 22, everyone turn your Bibles to Revelation 22. We're going to start in verse 1 and say amen when you guys get there. Revelation 22. So this is a sneak peek in the end. Amen. Love it. We're all there. All right. In Revelation 22, starting in verse 1, it says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down to the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Isn't that cool? No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. It's so hard to read that and just not imagine it in your head, right? It, it, like, I, I just had so many pictures just going on, right? But what we're reading here is this is the end goal, right? Where God wants to envision, what God wants to envision for our current world today. And it's this reconnection, a callback to the intended purpose of our creation. It's this callback to the conditions and how God created the world in the first place, and how we will live with God when God comes. And I think it's important to point out what life dwelling with God looks like from this passage. And I want you guys to imagine it, right? And we kind of read it. And so look, it says that with God, there's going to be fruitfulness, right? Healing, healing of the nations, right? And he even says there will be no more curses. So I'm thinking, man, with God, there's just going to be an immense amount of blessings, right? But our current conditions in our world, and so if this is what God wants to envision, what God will bring when, he, when heaven and earth connects, it kind of shows us the conditions of our world today, which is waste and barren. And without God, there's sickness. And without God, there's no blessings. And so what, what does that mean? There's curses to it. And so what is the value of knowing God's vision is that these three things, waste, barren sickness or waste, sickness and curses, that's not our end goal. That is not going to be what is going to happen when God comes. Isn't that awesome? That's the value of knowing God's vision. And so our value as co-partners with God is that we can hope and pray and partner with God to revitalize the world that we live in. Amen? Amen. And so the value is that you are co-partners with God. And this is why Jesus is so important. Jesus is so integral in this vision. In 1 Corinthians 15, 42, verse 45, this is the last scripture we're going to read today. It says, So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. 
So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. He's talking about Jesus here. Right? So Jesus is this life-giving spirit that's God dwelling within us and in us. And so think about that, right? When Jesus was dwelling on earth, it, it is this picture of what heaven on earth will look like. And even Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is here, right? So it's happening. So Jesus helps to clarify what it means to be a true image bearer of God, which in this passage uh, says the last Adam. And so as a disciple of Jesus, which is you and I, we are called back again to being image bearers of God. So how are we living today as image bearers? I want you to ask yourself that. How have I been living as an image bearer of God? And this world uh, makes it nine times out of ten really, really difficult to be an image of God, right? Or to maintain that image. And I believe that it gets harder day after day and no one told us it was going to be easy, right? But when people see us, when people see you, do they see a person groaning for this life to be over? Or do they see the face of God calling them to Him? When they see you, do they see someone that just, oh, I just want heaven to be here. I just, I just want to leave. Or do they see the God that has created them call them to relationship? And this is why I love Jesus. is because it makes sense why He lived the way that He lived. Right? A poor prophet with no accolades. A rejected king with no throne, one who ate with sinners and tax collectors, the nomads, the imperfectors of this world. Because in a world that was waste and void, he supplied hope. In a place ridden with sickness, he lived a life that healed both the body and the spirit. And in a place that was ran with curses, he came to bless. He came to create miracles And he came to create even more blessings after that. Amen. Amen. So Jesus showed this intended marriage between God and his people. And as disciples, we are called to carry this on. Right. So in order for me to be the disciple, to be the co-heir, to be the royal priest that's on this earth, I have to get back to the creation story. And there's this greater vision of why God created our universe. And I don't think it was to flex. I don't think it was to just show how powerful he was. But I think it was rooted in love. It was the desire to create something as intricately beautiful as you and me, as the world outside of us. Because he just wanted to enjoy dwelling with his creation. And our call... And it's time to go back. Our call is to go back to the garden. Church, we need to be re-inspired to help our hurting world prepare for the blessings that is the garden. Right? When we share our faith, when we we tend to people who need God, it's more than helping to change their life. But what we're doing is we are calling people back to creation. We are calling people back to to their creator, back to walking in the garden with their God, back to love 
with God. So in conclusion, right, the story of creation, again, is more than a story, but it supplies us with a concrete vision on how God intended things to be. Amen? Amen. And the creation of humankind, which is you and I, right, is God's vehicle to bring creation into full fruition and function. And therefore, in knowing this, what does it mean for us in 2022? What does it mean for us as God's creation? Well, our role on earth is to aim our lives to fulfill God's vision, to be reunited with what he created. Our value is no longer what we do on earth, but how we are living as his intended, created beings. And that's to just be in harmony with God. Amen? Amen. So for communion, we're going to read again the 1 Corinthians 15, 42, verse 45. Right? Verse 45. I want to read that line again. It says, The first Adam became a living being, but the last Adam a life-giving spirit. And so I want us to reflect on this line, that last line for communion. Because when we think about our sin, when we approach the cross, it's really tragic what our sin can do. It's really tragic what our sin did, and our sin put Jesus on the cross. But however, thinking about the beauty of creation, through God, His power allows there to even be life in death. Right? That there was life in the death of Jesus. But although God's creation stopped in Genesis 1, His love doesn't. That Jesus was the last Adam, and He was so much more than this sentient body that just lived on earth. But his spirit, like God to his creation, was, is meant to give you life. And so what's your posture when you approach the cross? What's your spirit like when you take communion? And my prayer is that when we reflect on the blood and the, uh, and, and the flesh that's represented by the bread and the juice, I want us to all connect with how loved and overly blessed we are. As God's creation. Amen. And we worship an overly generous God. So if there's this one key takeaway that I want you to walk away with. If someone asks, hey, what did Roy tell you? Or what did the Bible show you today? Is that we serve and worship an overly generous God. Amen. And we are completely blessed through the sacrifice uh, that is Jesus on, on the cross. And the resurrection that came after. And so I pray that in our communion we can just think and reflect on how blessed we are as God's created. Amen. So let's go ahead and bow our heads for a word of prayer and take communion together. Heavenly Father God, Lord, thank you so much um, to be your created. God, we are, are here on this earth yearning to be with you. God, but uh, I know that uh, that day is not promised, but it will come. God, it will come. Uh, when, when you dwell, make your dwelling here on this earth and the world is going to be exactly how you created it to be. God, I'm so grateful for your love. I'm grateful for your intricacy, your creativeness in creating uh, the world that surrounds us. God, although that it can be hot sometimes, Lord, we live in an incredible place. God, just to think about, man, when I first came to the desert, God, that Literally, it was, I was surrounded by snow-capped mountains, and I just thought to myself, God, you are way bigger than me. Amen. So, Lord, I pray that when we think about your creation, we not only think about your power, we not only think about how capable, how, glor- how, how 
like how much glory you have. Uh, but God, that uh, that we can also see, God, that compared to you, we are so much smaller, but yet you love us deeply. You love us with a love that we cannot comprehend. You lavish us with that love. So God, I pray that we can reflect on each blessing that you've given us in our lives in the past, that we can hope and pray for you more blessings in the future, as long as we trust in you, walk with you, and live as you're created here on this earth. God, I pray for our broken world. God, you are the only one that can fix it. And I'm grateful, God, that you have given us the responsibility to be co-partners and priests here on this earth to partner with you. God, as you bless this world, God, I pray for everything in my son's name. Amen.